Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Chase Thomas podcast. We are back late on this Wednesday, where I'm joined by Sports Illustrated's Wilton Jackson the second. Wilton, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Chase. I'm glad to be on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here, man, because I reached out. Uh, you wrote a really, really great story for SA.com that uh, everyone should go check out if they have not already done so on Jacksonville, or on um, Jackson State. Jacksonville State is on the brain because they just uh, moved up to FBS. But anyway, Jackson State um, and the sellout crowd from this weekend and what Prime has done as they go into the SWAC championship. Um, how much fun did you have writing that Jackson State piece? I had a lot of fun, man, and the, and the crazy thing is, so a little bit about me, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi, hmm. um, I've went off and did different things, but I've never seen this much energy around the program, probably within the last, I would say, um, maybe like 10 to 15 years, for sure, like, so the last time that they went to, well, the last time they actually won a SWAC championship was 2007, the last time they went was 20, uh, 2013. But as a kid, when I was younger, when they went in 2007, there was a lot of excitement around the program. But to be at this level of excitement, I mean, it's been, it's not something that I've seen since my early childhood. What was the coolest nugget you pulled for the story that you're you really happy about that really fascinated you? Um, I think the, the nuggets that often get to where people can can almost like visualize a picture, right? So, mm-hmm. like, of course, you know, people can go back and look at stats and read stats and say, hey, this player had, a, you know, this touchdown or, you know, this amount of yards. But I think the things that really get, that really stood out to me that I had the most um, fun writing was when I was actually, I left the press box around maybe six or seven minutes uh, left within the fourth quarter. And it just so happens that I'm standing maybe a hundred feet away from the athletic director of the program. Mm. And if you remember in the story, I talked about where he, he grabbed his daughter mm. and went to go give coach prime, uh, coach prime a handshake. And I thought within that moment, you know, they had just scored a touchdown. They had went up 24, 10, um, Shador Sanders had just threw uh, the final touchdown of the game. And something about that moment when that after that touchdown, the crowd, I looked in the crowd, the sun was setting, and that was one of the most perfect moments, other than obviously the things that, you know, Coach Prime said during the press conference um, that stood out. But, like, in that moment after that touchdown, things were different. Like, the crowd, obviously, everybody talks about, you know, it was nearly 60,000 people the entire game. But in that moment, everything just seemed to solidify to sum up the entire season that Jackson State had had. How does it permeate into the community? You mentioned like just um, the energy in the stadium and just the energy for the program. But how does Jackson State uh, getting back on track under Coach Prime? How does that uh, permeate throughout the community? Oh, it permeates a lot, man. Like when you talk about just from a business standpoint, it's crazy because um, I actually talked to some of the people that work with the city before this past week, before the uh, before the Soul Bowl. And so they were projecting nearly about $3 million in terms of the city, of in terms of dollars and cents to be generated hmm. from the Soul Bowl. And it, actually, uh, it actually went to be uh, over $5 million that the city generated. Oh, wow. and, so it, and so most people will tell you all the time, anytime the Jackson State is good in terms of football, the city is doing well also. Because you get people that's going to come in from out of town. You get fans that come to the games that are specifically in town. Students are talking about it. 
um, you name it. And so, like, when you get a, a, a coach like Coach Prime to come in and coach your program, and then he's not just a, hey, I'm a football coach, I'm going to coach my players and, and all of that. Like, if you've been able to see and witness some of the things that he said in terms of, you know, building his program in terms of the athletes and also building them as, as leaders away from the field as well. And so that has started to permeate into the community because he's been doing some things in the community to give back and really, like, really connecting with fans. I noticed when he first got here, after he took the job in September of 2021, one of the first things um, that he was doing or that he did was reached out to the community to different places, whether it was going to a small business, Hmm. whether it was getting to know city leaders and getting involved in terms of, like, how – the football team could collaborate in terms of getting them acclimated to the community. He was he he wasn't just a figurehead that was te- that was coaching a team. He's become a major part of the city. And believe it or not, I don't think I've seen Jackson rally around somebody like they rallied around for Fry. And the cool thing too, you have a quote in there from him where he is thinking big picture with all these guys and he's thinking big picture about the university and like it's cool for him to be in the the SWAC championship but like he's thinking about how many of his kids get drafted like they have a top 100 recruiting class right now which is pretty pretty amazing and he wants to not only get dudes to the league but he also wants to have a great graduation rate like he wants to he's looking across the board and big picture with all of this so yeah titles are cool but it seems like he is more about uh, setting up as many kids in his program for future success as humanly possible. Is that a fair characterization? Yes, that's a, a very fair characterization. And he's been saying that since day one. Like when he, when, like I said, when he took the job in September of 2020, he said that, you know, he wanted to change the narrative. But in that same sentence of changing the narrative, not just of, hey, I want to get a college football program back to um, the restored tradition that it used to be, um, where this was a time where Jackson State would win multiple championships. We're talking like, like you know, the 70s, 80s, and, and early 90s. But beyond that, you know, everybody's not going to go to the NFL. But with a coach like Coach Prime and, you know, knowing that a lot of uh, HBCU players went to the NFL in those uh, early 80s and also from the 70s, that can be duplicated. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's definitely talent you know, at HBCUs, not even at just Jackson State. And that's something else that he's preached to in terms of changing the narrative, not just, you know, for his own players to get drafted, but players from other schools, whether it be FAMU, who's also playing in the FCS playoffs on Saturday, whether it's Alcorn State, who's won this way within uh, for the last five to six years. Um, so it's not just about just Jackson State, and it's not just about the football team. It's just, it's it's more about really changing the entire narrative um, within HBCUs, but starting with the football team and essentially permeating out into saying, like, okay, how can we get uh, graduation rates to increase at Jackson State? How can we get more students enrolled into the university? Because everything adds up. It all, you know, plans into one accord. I like that. Um, do you think he thinks about, like, uh, uh, Matt Green and I on the podcast were talking about college football openings and stuff like that the other day, and I had posited that, like, Sonny Dykes is fine. He might he'll probably be okay at TCU, but Deion Sanders at this point, like I just I don't know why you wouldn't take a swing on him. Like I don't know why if you're a program like that, you're looking for a restart, like the infectious nature of him and just what he would provide for your program and all that. And then I thought about like your piece and I thought about all that kind of stuff where I'm like, I just if you're prime, you're only two years in, like do you really do you really want to leave anytime soon do you want to see this through? like especially through at least one four-year class and 
Um, do you think about that? Because his name's going to continue to pop up for, for certain jobs, especially if they keep winning. But do you think that's definitely something that's important to him that will weigh on him of just that, like, I have to be here for a while, even if I have other goals, just to ensure that I help as many people as possible, but also just that, like, I follow through with what I, my message has been for the last two years? Absolutely. And that's a great question. And so I'll start it off with this and everything. Essentially, when I get to writing like my columns and different stories, I always come back to certain things that he said. I like to connect what he said when he first started mm. to where he's gotten to now. When he first came to Texas, he said God sent him here. That was one of the first things he said. And so considering that when all the rumors have came out, because, of course, you know about the rumors that uh, Reggie Bush made. Uh, of saying that he was going to be rumored to be, he would be a good candidate for the coach at the USC job. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, the rumors that everybody know about, you know, him being linked to TCU. Mm -hmm. Um, He came out and addressed those rumors, you know, because he also had uh, surgery on his foot, and he was in the hospital when those TCU rumors were were spiraling out. Mm -hmm. So he came out and said that, you know, Jackson State is the place that he wants to be. He wants to be at Jackson State. Could you know, Coach Ryan, like you said, could Coach Ryan go anywhere and probably coach across the country? And, and I'm going to just be honest with you. If I'm a high school student, a transfer student, or a junior college kid that's on a, on a football team, and if Coach Ryan called me, I think I would probably answer that call and say, hey, I would love to come play for you. Mm. And I think that the general consensus probably from, from most people that have any interest in football and knowing his background would probably want to play for him, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but really any side of the ball. I say from a standpoint, do I think he could leave? Absolutely. He could leave if he wanted to. Um, but I definitely think with the way that Jackson State is is performing and the, what he wants to do in terms of not only just changing Jackson State, but again, changing the entire narrative for HBCUs in general, given that, that publicity, that exposure that some of the you know PWIs get that other HBCUs and smaller schools don't get, I think he has a, a, a knack for wanting to really change that narrative on that side and you know maybe eventually he does move up throughout the ranks and takes another job but i don't think that's going to happen anytime soon interesting so what do you think happens if he's here for a while if that follows through how do you see the swack evolving around him do you think he has this like some sort i don't even know how what my analogy for this would be but do you do you think that he is now at the epicenter of what's to come for the next couple of years in the conference and that what his decision and jackson state's rise will maybe make other potential coaches and other interesting names reconsider going to the conference and putting more of an emphasis on hbcus and um just kind of following in prime's footsteps is that something that's also important to him of just seeing other guys take this kind of um uh, just plunge and to re- reinvest in in a way Yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that he wants to be, that he wants to happen. I mean, it's already kind of starting already. Like, if you're familiar with um, Tennessee State and Eddie mm-hmm. George, long right. time running back from, you know, from the Titans. And, like, when they when they played, when Jackson State and Tennessee State played in the Southern Heritage Classic, obviously, you know, it was more of a blowout in favor of Jackson State. But Tennessee State has actually come along um, throughout this season and ended up, if I'm not mistaken, they ended up uh, with a 500 record or so. Um, but that's good for a program that's on its way up. That This is also a program that Eddie George hasn't really had the chance to really bring in his own recruits and really do the hard legwork to make it the team that he wants it, that he wants it to be. When you consider Jackson State, they had a spring season where they essentially finished four and three. Um, and, you know, some people may have felt like, well, this this is Coach Plum. You know, is he really going to be the coach that he is? But he said 
you know, once I get in my own players that I've recruited, um, I, and obviously if they have, you know, the NCAA eligibility, this is going to be a different team. And it has been a, a very different team um, from the unprecedented spring season that they had because, you know, obviously the SWAC um, canceled their season due to COVID, their fall 2020 season due to COVID. And I think more and more, as, as Jackson State continues to win, I think you're going to see things continue to change, not only just within Jackson State, but other schools across the SWEC are going to continue to benefit from this. Like I said, FAMU, perfect example. They play in the first game of the season. Jackson State wins, but at the same time, FAMU, because um, they were second to Jackson State and they had they were one of the few teams to get into – the FCS playoffs, that's huge for the swag. That's something that hasn't had that has not happened in a long time. Imagine if Sam you a program with a also a rich tradition and history for doing well in um college football. Imagine if they get a win against Southeastern Louisiana on Saturday. That's huge for the swag. Not only is that gonna rub off for the sweat, that's gonna also rub off for other programs as well, like other programs in the MEAC and then also former programs that used to be in the MEAC. Um, they have moved on to other conferences, like maybe, say, for example, North Carolina A&T, who, by the way, is having a down year this year. Um, but they've been a powerhouse. That Well, they were a powerhouse um, in the MEAC. But I say that to say this. You talk about the benefit that it brings in the exposure and the publicity. And, like, you're, not, you, you're no longer going to get um, those. Uh, you, you're not going to have so much of the, okay, HBCUs, because some people can look at HBCUs and say, well, um, I went off to a PWI. It, did, it didn't necessarily work there. And then my last resort is an HBCU. I feel like as long as Coach Prime and other coaches continue to show that there's a, a high-quality brand of football playing, being played in the SWAC and in the MEAC and in other smaller conferences like this, I think you're going to see more recruits and more um, high school, junior college players wanting to go to these schools to get that playing time and to get that publicity, especially if they're going to be getting more players um, selected in the NFL draft. Interesting. Um, were you expecting him to turn around this fast? Did you like? Did you think that this would be a quick, quick fix for him? I did not. Okay. And I say that with the standpoint of because I also watched the spring season. Mm-hmm. And granted, I knew that with any coach, with anybody that you that you bring in, knew you did, for one, the coach has to adjust to the program. Number two, the players that the, that the coach has to deal with, and I, I use the word deal with lightly, meaning like these aren't the players that he's brought in. These are the players that have remained from the old coaching regime. So you're asking players that know nothing about you. Obviously, they know Coach Fryman, who he is and what he did in the NFL. But as far as his coaching style, this is a whole new transition. They're getting used to a coach that, you know, a few months ago wasn't even around, wasn't even a thing. So to, to bring in a new coach – with the same, with a lot of the same players that were still around, you're not going to have a perfect season, and they didn't have a perfect season. And then, with the idea of dealing with it um, during COVID, played a lot of role in, in 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 why they had the season that they had as well. So, like I said, he would always mention that when he gets his players in, the ones that he recruited um, and that chose to come to Jackson State, that it would be a different thing. Now that I think it would be this fast, that I think that they would, you know, go essentially, that they would only have one loss this season, or better yet, that I think that they would, um, you know, almost beat Louisiana Monroe um, early in the season. That was huge because I'm in in a a previous time, like I said, throughout my years of watching Jackson State football, when they played, you know, upper or higher tier programs like that, in most cases it was often a blowout. This was nowhere near close to a blowout. They were supposed to win that game. 
they were supposed to. Obviously, they didn't um, because they had some miscues on, on their part. But that was a game that was winnable. In previous years, that wasn't a winnable game at all. So to see that and know after that game, I knew, I said, you know what? You know, barring that game and some other critical games that they have to play against teams like Alabama A&M Southern, uh, you know, some of those other top tier schools that have always beat them, or even Alcorn from this past weekend, if they beat those teams, this team is, is, is a championship caliber team. And if he beats Alcorn, in my mind, I said, he's definitely changed the program, like changed it for the better. And he can only go up. How did he beat Alcorn on Saturday? You said, how did he beat Alcorn? Mm-hmm. So they started slow in that game, mm-hmm. uh, which they have that with the offense has started slow within like the last three to four weeks. And, you know, again, granted, you know, he had been away for a while, you know, battling with the complications from his foot surgery. Well, but speaking of that, too, that, just as one quick aside, is he okay? Like, is that is that over? Is he behind the worst of it? Like, is that all okay? Okay. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's over, but I think he's at a place where he can come back around. And he's at, well, obviously he's out of the hospital, so mm-hmm. he's not to where he can't, you know, not come out anymore. So he's back around. I think that he's going to continue to have to deal with some of those things for a little while longer. Uh, but he's able to be around the team and be around, you know, uh, you know, fans and different things like that on the sideline. So he's been cleared to do that. But I could not tell you for sure that everything is done with that. But as far as like him being able to coach and be around his athletes and his team, he's able to do that. How much has he shared about like what's been going on and how serious it was with reporters? He, so we in low with us as, uh-huh. as local reporters that are here on the ground, like uh-huh. he basically told us it, it's been a, a, a ongoing experience. It's been a challenging experience for him because he's used to this is Coach Prime we're talking about. Right. Here's someone who's used to doing any and everything by himself, whether it's walking hmm. you know, to his car, whether it's walking in the office or anything like that. When you have to get help getting out of your car, that, and these are just simple things, things that you know normal people take for granted. When you have to get help with that, when you have to maneuver in a wheelchair now, and then previously, obviously, he was on a scooter, um, that, that, that's, that's, that's different. Like, you go from... I can move, I can work out my body, I can do whatever I want to do to saying, hey, I need you to help me with this. And so he said in different times. I imagine this uh, is how it would go with my own father is uh, what I'm hearing here. I'm just, he's basically my father. So this is, I need to write this stuff down to prepare for how to, how to deal with this if this ever becomes a thing. Yes, no. So it's like he, he's really depending on other people. And he mm. said it in a series um, basically that, you know, as he told us as reporters that you know you have no earthly idea what he's been going through and he just mm-hmm. often praises God for allowing him to be in a place where he's been receptive to help he's actually had help and he's still learning to grow and deal with the situation of, of how he's dealing with it right now and so I think that believe it or not it's, it's interesting that he always he always talks about making sure that his players are disciplined and hmm. believe it or not it takes a lot of discipline to do what he's to undergo what he's dealing with right mm-hmm. now because he could easily you know as we you may have be able to relate to this too sometimes when we get in older age we don't want to necessarily do what doctors do yeah do what, we don't necessarily want to do what uh the doctors we get stubborn as we get older the, we just we only get and, more stubborn yeah Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. And so with But that's him, also what makes you great. Right? Like this is part of what makes him great and has the energy and has the stuff to do everything else to see. He just people are like, You can't do that and he's like, No, I'm gonna go do that and that's just who he is. Exactly. Absolutely right. And and you're not gonna keep him down forever. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking after he missed the third game, I said, If he doesn't come back 
for the Southern game or the Alcorn game, this 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 team might they may suffer a second loss on the season. But luckily, he came back. And so, in in terms of what you asked me initially, your initial point was, you know, how did they win their games? Defense, what they've been doing all season, standout, lights out defense. Anytime plays need to be made in a critical time, nine times out of ten, it's probably going to come from the defensive side of the ball. Hmm. And once the defense does its part, the offense gets fired up from there. And and his son, you know, the quarterback of the team, Shadur Sanders, he'll tell you that. He, matter of fact, he said it in the press conference on, on Saturday. He said, as long as our defense is playing the way that they're playing, all we have to do is score points. And that, and it's literally been like that the entire season. How has he coached his son? How has that dynamic worked? Has it been as uh, seamless as it seemed from the outside? Um, well, according to when, when they're together, whether they're in a press conference or watching them on the field, and they'll tell you, um, Coach Farmer will tell you, on the field, he, he's Shadur Sanders. But, you know, outside of football and, you know, maybe outside of practice, he's his son. But obviously there have been moments that they've shared. Like, for example, after the win against Southern, um, Shadur and Coach Prime had that moment where he where Shadur hugged him after um, Shiloh, the other son, had made the interception. He, they, they shared that moment with each other. But as far as, like, when it comes to football, Shadur is the quarterback for, for Jackson State and Coach Prime is the coach, and that's the relationship then. But after that, then that's his son. That's got to be a diff- difficult <laughs> thing to manage. Oh, I, sure. uh, I I don't know how they pull that off. I, that's got to be tough. I, if if I had to play for my dad, man, like that it would not go well difficult. for me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just this year. Do you remember when Ed Orgeron had to face his son against McNeese State? Like he had a game plan yeah. against his own son. This like that's like the under talked about college football story for me this year was this that like we just moved past Ed Orgeron being like I need you to really hurt my son this week. I need you to make sure that he has the worst Saturday of his life. Here's what we're gonna do exactly. to make sure my son's miserable for three and a half hours. It's incredible. Like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's the, and then and then just imagine after that, it's like but you know son I, I still love you. <laughs> uh, you know you can you can come by the house and visit. You know I'll see you on Sunday for dinner or something like that. Yeah. Like, but you just. You just beat me down for three hours on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, that's got to be so weird. Um, what should we expect out of Jackson in the uh, in the SWAC title game? I think you're going to get a, a Jackson State team that's going to be very disciplined. Uh, one thing that, that has been like the Achilles heel for them this season, and even specifically, you know, as the season has went on, is penalties. My thing is they've won games in the way that they've won. If it wasn't for the defense stepping up to make plays that would essentially uh, lead to the offense getting motivated to score points, penalties have hurt them tremendously. And you're gonna, they're going to get a preview team that's going to come in that's, that's dominant on both sides of the ball. Um, they have a, a, a strong playmaker in Jawan Taylor for preview that's, that can throw the ball around. They have a, a consistent running game. And then also they have a strong defense that's going to give uh, that that could potentially give Jackson State some challenges. Um, so I definitely think that the best thing that they could do for sure, um, just kind of looking at preview, is definitely limit the penalties. And I've said this before, and it hasn't caught up with them yet, and, and maybe it doesn't catch up with them because the defense has still been able to do their job. But I would avoid starting slow against preview on next Saturday. I like it. Who do you think wins? What's your prediction right now? Um, I think it's going to be a close game. I definitely don't think it's going to be a blowout. Um, I don't think it's going to be a lot of – I don't think it's going to be like 40 or 50 points scored. I would say anywhere between 
23 to 30 points, and I'm going to give the edge to Jackson State. I would say the score would be anywhere from like maybe 30 to 21 or uh, 30 to 17. Okay. I like it. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Um, give me something about Jackson State, either the community, the university, the team, Prime, that a lot of folks don't know about, but they would be fascinated to learn that uh, you've learned just by growing up in the area and being around, or just this year, year alone. I think that the one thing that people should know about Jackson State, but I can actually give you two things. Go for um, it. I'm ready. One of them would be that this, what's going on now is actually the changing of the narrative and, and really restoring what the football team looks like now is nothing new per se. I say it in a way that previous years or decades before, this is what Jackson State football used to be. Whether it was from the 70s, the 80s, even the early 90s. This is what Jackson State used to be. The stadium that everybody has been saying like, oh, they, they filled it up. It's, you know, it holds 60,000 people. They're getting like 58,000 plus you know, people in the stands. Like, this was the norm. You know, it, during my childhood, um, we're talking, like, early 90s to um, that early 2000s period, anywhere from, like, 06 to 07, when they actually won their last championship. This, the stadium was packed. It wasn't necessarily packed like the way it is now, but in terms of the tradition and, and, and expecting Jackson State to have a strong football team, you're talking about a football program that has four NFL Hall of Famers. So this is not by coincidence that this program is just doing well. It's it's being restored or has been restored, but you know obviously Coach Prom still has more work to do, and he's going to continue to do that. But this is nothing new per se. As number one, and number two, if you didn't know, if, if most people didn't know this, the band, the Southern Boom of the South, fused them, you know, to win games. Um, and they'll tell you the fans, the 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 band, like they really help them out in terms of you know when they're playing those home games. So it's it's strategic as to why he's saying he wants fans to come, um, specifically from a from a business and financial standpoint, because you know the more fans that pack out stadiums, you know more TV exposure on major platforms like ESPN. But beyond that, as far as like when it comes to the football team and that extra added motivation to win, the fans and the band often play an impact in that um, in their situation. What is the best uh, Sonic Boom song that they do? What's the best one that people should check out if they have not already? Um, two songs. So okay. the main song that they play is a song called Get Ready. It's like the theme song. Mm-hmm. Say anytime, anytime the football team is going to run out or anytime they're going to be at a football game playing, they're always going to play Get Ready, number mm-hmm. one. And number two, Coach Fine has a song that's called uh, My Hitter. Mm-hmm. And when the band plays that song, he just loses it. Like, he gets so excited. Like, even in his, even in his wheelchair, like, he gets excited. And so when they when they play that song or anytime the band plays um, any good songs, like, he's always into it. Always. Is that guy ever off? Like, have you ever caught him on a day where he's just, like, he's pretty relaxed and laid back and just not, not feeling it? Uh, not many. Not Does he drink many. coffee? I mean, yeah. Is he a caffeine guy? Is he a caffeine guy? Is he a coffee guy? What is he? What is he usually sipping on? Is it water all the time? What is? What, does he? Do you think he's a high caffeine guy? I wouldn't necessarily call him a high, high caffeine guy. He's not a Dan Campbell. Uh, de- definitely more so like water, Gatorade, different okay. things like that. Hmm. I mean, but this is just his normal self in terms of energy wise. Like yeah, he, he's full of energy. He starts his day very early and he stays up late. But he's always one to put in the work to get accomplish what he wants to accomplish. That's mm. him. He'll tell you that from from day one. 
I like that. I like that. How do the good folks keep up with your work and read your great piece on SI.com? I really appreciate it. I have some more coming um, next week and probably the next week after that if they are going into the Celebration Bowl. But even if Jackson State doesn't make it to the Celebration Bowl, I'll be doing some other work with HBCUs and some other sports as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, keep up the great work, sir. Thank you so much for making the time this evening. And uh, you have a great uh, Thanksgiving holiday season. All right. Same to you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Will. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.